Okay, as the kids are leaving, I have a question for you this morning. I think it's a question that we need to have an answer for. It's an important question, I think, that impacts not only our lives, but will impact the lives of others. So here, here's the question. Where will you be when God's glory sweeps the earth? Hmm? Will you be right in the middle of it, serving God? Proclaiming the name of Jesus, praying for those around you, or will you be in your living room with your feet up, watching TV, missing out? If you haven't thought about that question, well, you're going to have to today, at least for a few minutes. I don't know how much time we have left. Maybe a lot, but maybe not a lot. But I do know that a flood of glory is coming as our hardships. And we need to be prepared for both. This spiritual tsunami that I'm talking about actually began 2,000 years ago in an upper room in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God fell upon the 120 present, and they in turn turned the world upside down. They preached this resurrected Christ, and many were converted, even 3,000 on that day. Part of Peter's sermon is my text this morning from Acts chapter 2, 16 to 21. Peter says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I would think most Christians just assumed that that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, but it wasn't. That was only the beginning, the first installment, if you will. Peter is quoting from the prophet Joel. And notice it says in the very first sentence that this will be fulfilled in the last days. The last days technically began at the resurrection and ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ and will culminate in his second coming. But the context here is before the second coming of Christ. So this means this passage here has a future fulfillment that we haven't seen yet. A future outpouring. I believe the greatest revival that will ever occur on earth will happen before the second coming of Christ. And so my question to you is, do you want to be a part of that? If Christ does indeed return in your lifetime. The verse before this, Acts 1.15, or no, back in 1.15 of Acts, Peter is speaking to 120 believers. They're all together. They're praying and seeking the Lord as Jesus instructed them. Luke 24.49. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
And so as I thought about that promise there in Luke 24, 49 and the 120 who were gathered in the upper room that day, I thought, why weren't there more? Weren't there more people in Jesus's ministry and after his resurrection that, that were impacted and could have been there but weren't? And then First Corinthians fifteen six. The verses before that, Paul is citing some people who Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. And then verse six says one we may not be as familiar with. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, some have died. So after Jesus's resurrection, he appeared to a group of more than 500 people on this particular occasion. Wouldn't he have wanted them to be a part of what was going to take place on the day of Pentecost? Wouldn't he want them to share in what miraculous thing that he was going to do next? And would not they have heard from the 12 apostles and the others about gathering in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? So my question is, where were these folks? Where were the 380 Were they home watching TV? What's the difference between the 380 and the 120? Well, the 120 experienced revival. They were present when the Holy Spirit came. They were present when the glory fell. They had a front row seat to it. They didn't miss out on all that God was doing. Wouldn't you rather be in the company of the 120 Rather than part of the 380. Do you want to be used by God and see the great things that he is going to do in the earth or not? Acts 2.18. So right there within our passage, Luke quotes Joel and uses the word servant. But actually he uses it twice. And it's the Greek word doulos. And he uses it as in the masculine form and the feminine form. So there we see men servants and maid servants. The Holy Spirit, again, tearing down barriers that exist. And that word means slave or servant. But it's not how you think of a slave or a servant. It means to voluntarily subject oneself. So these slaves, these douloses, weren't slaves because their country was captured in battle and they were brought back against their will to be a slave. No, they voluntarily subjected themselves. They were people who could be free and chose to be subservient to their master because of their love for him. You love Jesus before you serve him. So if you were a manservant or a maidservant, you made a commitment What they would do after that is take a a tool that put a hole in your ear and you wore this earring as a sign or a symbol of your commitment and obedience to your master. No matter what the cost would be to you, you would obey the master's call. So when you became a born again believer, you became a child of God. John 1.12 Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But then you choose to be a servant. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant, a doulos of Christ Jesus, 
called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul knew the benefits and and advantages and freedoms as a Roman citizen, yet he bowed the knee to Jesus, willingly giving away all those rights, his freedom, his will, his time. And he vowed to die for his new master, Jesus, if necessary. And in fact, Paul did suffer a martyr's death. He chose to be a doulos. There was a hiker. He was walking through the mountains and he he slipped on some loose rocks and and he went over the edge. Miraculously, he caught onto a branch before he plummeted to his death and he was screaming for help, but no one was around. Finally, he heard a voice that said, I'm here. And he said, who are you? And he said, I'm God. He said, what should I do? And God said, let go and I'll catch you. And he said, is there anybody else up there? Yeah, we don't really want to let go and let God and say, God, whatever your will is for my life, be it cheery and happy and wonderful or hard. It doesn't matter. I'm yours. I'm your doulos. There is no one else for us but God and his perfect will. And Jesus is the ultimate example for us of that. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Hadulos, being made in human likeness. Jesus is God. The king of the universe became a man, a servant, a doulos for us. He chose to take our sin on himself and die on the cross in our place. So whatever this worthy one commands, I will do. I'm his champion, his bond servant. And occasionally showing up at church on Sunday, that's not cutting it. But being governed and owned by him is like Pastor Joseph Tan of Romania, who who was captured by the communists and arrested. They said to him, stop preaching or we will kill you. And he replied back, I can't do that. Killing me is your only weapon and dying is mine. Kill me and everyone will read and listen to my sermons and I will impact many more people by my death than by my life because they will know it's true if I'm willing to die for it. And the communists released him. Well, pastor, not everyone is called to such a radical life of preaching Christ. What about Second Timothy 220? In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble. I'm just one of those little mud vessels. I'm more like the plastic spoon or fork in the drawer, not the good china. Well, if you are, then it's your own fault. Because look at the next verse. Second Timothy 2.21. 
If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So don't you want to be a vessel of honor in the house of God? One of the 120? Well, this text says you can't if he cleanses himself. Paul says elsewhere, puts off the old nature, the old self. We cooperate with God in this endeavor. God gives the power, but you say yes to being that doulos, to be the pure saint of God. First John 3, 3. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I think there are Christians who are just sitting around waiting for God to jerk the remote or the cigarette out of their mouth. Whether it's spiritual laziness or bad theology, I don't know. But there's plenty of scripture that says for you to depart from sin. Second Timothy 2.22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Are you fleeing from your evil desires and pursuing righteousness? Okay, I want to change the imagery just a little bit from one of the doulos, the, the slavery idea, to the idea of chivalry. Think of the medieval knights like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. These men, these knights, had high ranking in their own right. But because of their love for the king, they pledged themselves to the king's service, even to the point of death if necessary. They vowed to be the king's champion. They'd fight the king's battles. They would go in the king's name and uphold the king's honor no matter what. Kind of like David's men in the Old Testament, who from all walks of life came to get together to be his mighty men. So we're to be a slave, a doulos of God and a soldier of God. Let's read that in Second Timothy two, three and four. It says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Make no mistake about it. It's hard to be a servant and a soldier. But the truth is, there's no problem suffering or attack on your character that can ever defeat you. Nothing hell can devise is powerful enough to overcome the blood of Jesus in you. You have his armor. You have all you need, but you have to go into battle. You're a soldier. You are a knight for God. And we all have to face that fact. But I don't feel like putting on my armor and fighting today. It doesn't make any difference. It's what you are. It's who you're called to be. A doulos and a soldier for God. Generals don't ask privates if they would like to serve, if they would like to fight in battle today. A general doesn't come up to a private and say, you know, son, I'm sorry to interrupt your game of checkers, but we're having a battle today up the road. And I'm just wondering if you might like to go and fight in that battle with us. And the private responds, no, I just don't really think I want to go today. But thanks for thinking of me. 
You know, that's absurd. Generals don't ask privates if they'd like to do something. They, they make a command and the soldier obeys. Luke seventeen ten. So also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. You want to do what, Mr. Slave? Good soldiers also don't just sit around waiting. They're training. They're constantly in training, improving themselves, expecting the fight. They're, they're anxious for it. They're, they're biding their time, ready to go into battle. And God is looking for soldiers like that, whose weapons aren't carnal and, and worldly. Our weapons are spiritual. God is looking for people like Mark Clugston. Mark was a teammate of mine in high school on our high school football team. Now, Mark was on the smaller side. He was 5'5", 140 pounds. So that's even pretty small for high school football back in the day when I played. Mark hardly ever got into the games. He wasn't a starter. But wherever the coach went, there was Mark on his hip, following him around, asking the coach, put me in the game, coach. I'm ready to go in the game. He wasn't the best player by any stretch of the imagination, but he was the most eager and desirous of getting into the game. Be like that spiritually. God will put you into the game. He can put more excitement in your life than you can ever dream of. He can use you for his kingdom purposes in ways that you could never imagine. You know, we will have billions of years to be happy and safe in heaven. Now is the day that we join in the battle for the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3:21. To him who what overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sit down with my father on his throne. What an awesome promise Jesus is saying to believers there. But. To sit next to the Lord, you're going to have to be an overcomer. That, that means being cleansed and serving Christ however he wants. It, it means not giving in to sin or giving up on Christ or shirking away or turning back, but keeping your hand on the plow and moving straight ahead. This day, we are on call for the Lord 24-7. We, we are trained to endure hardships. We're learning to walk by faith and not by sight. We're having a keen sense of spiritual battles ahead. We we know that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but spiritual forces in heavenly places. We are persevering and staying faithful to the Lord and serving Christ in big and small ways. However, he wants. We're cleansing ourselves and putting on the new self. And as Paul said, one of his last words written before he died for Christ, let us fight the good fight of faith. Now, before we sing the final song and maybe the praise team can come on up and lead right into this, I'm going to invite you to stand up. Everybody who can stand for a few moments here, do it. if you're more comfortable staying seated, that's okay. I want to read something to you, and I'm asking you to stand in a way where we're standing up. And we're agreeing to this and we're making a commitment of ourselves to Christ, maybe in a new and fresh and living and dynamic way. 
I want to read something to you called My Commitment as a Christian. It was written many years ago by a young African pastor who this thing was found uh, tacked on the wall in his small house. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees. Colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, platitudes, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way rough. My companions few. My guide reliable. My mission clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or defeated. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. Until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes. Give till I drop. Preach till all know. And work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear.